Hello traders, welcome to another Performante podcast. This is episode number six, and in this podcast, we're gonna be talking about 2020 predictions. So I'll uh, pass it over to Nathan for the start of the video. Hey everyone, hopefully you are happy and healthy during these quarantine times. And we are here to talk about the sixth episode of the Performante series, predictions for 2020. So before we get started, I just wanted to explain that this is not financial advice. We are not formal financial advisors and the information we present is purely our own ideas, but you should always make your own decisions. Consider this a second opinion from a stranger on the internet. Yeah, definitely. Um, we as a community uh, have our own opinions and each of us traders do present charts and whatnot, but at the end of the day, um, we're trying to create an environment where um, education is first before having a bias and understanding why we have the biases that we do if we're long, short, bullish, bearish, and uh, understanding the different situations and why we're looking to either long or short. So um, before you look into trading and investing or anything like that, definitely do your due diligence and um, make sure that you have a proper education. So in that said, let's continue on with the video. So, um, okay, sorry, sorry, go on there, Nathan. Oh, I was just going to say, if you are considering getting into the markets, uh, you should consider using Webull. Uh, we're an affiliate for them, and we have an opportunity where if you go to our website and navigate over to this free stock section, you'll get sent to this link uh, where you can see two free stocks. Uh, just for opening account, you get one between $2.50 to $250, and for depositing any amount, you get one ranging from $12 to $1,400. Uh, this platform is very up and coming. They've got options and cryptocurrency launching soon, uh, and they're kind of they're a more reliable option in case you have been having problems with your brokerage recently. Yeah, it's definitely a option for U.S. Uh, residents and citizens, but uh, the platform is phenomenal. Uh, I, I have downloaded it and tried it. Unfortunately, we are Canadian, but uh, zero commissions and they're super reliable and they have 24 hour, uh, seven days a week customer service or 24 seven, seven days a week customer service. And uh, yeah, definitely check them out if you are interested in being more active as a trader and if you are living in the United States. And as we can see while we scroll down, uh, this is what uh, some or most brokerages actually don't have or you have to pay more for that uh, is going to be the extended hours both uh, pre and post so that's uh, definitely something that is offered that some of the other brokerage services do not offer so if you're interested definitely check out that link within our website you can find it at the very top where it says free stocks and you can redeem your two stocks you can literally deposit uh, any amount of money, and then you'll be able to redeem, redeem the two uh, pieces of equity. So uh, now we're going to go on to the Johns Hopkins University of Medicine. So this is going to be the heat map of the total global cases from the Center of System Science and Engineering at Johns Hopkins University. I think this is very um, delayed. You might want to refresh it because... There's like 600, almost oh, I think I'll just refresh it and we should be good, or so we hope. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
so as we can see, this, this is news, but if you don't know, uh, U.S. is now the highest number of confirmed cases uh, by country, and New York is kind of the epicenter of the entire globe for, uh, for the next couple weeks, it's, it's going to seem like, which is very scary. Um, so we can see also for the deaths, 776 for New York City, uh, more than... Oh, I guess this is just U.S. So we can see uh, New York is way, way ahead in, in terms of deaths uh, compared with any other country. Um, so from our team to every single viewer and listener within this podcast, we wish you very, uh, we wish you only the best and stay safe and you know do everything that uh, we all know and, and hear all the time. Wash your hands, tr- avoid touching your face, uh, just. Uh, you know, practice social distancing and all that stuff. Uh, Nathan is uh, well versed in this field, so uh, definitely uh, we can discuss more into that. Yeah, just one thing that's important to note is that if you look in the bottom right, there's this exponential graph, and it's still very much seeing vertical growth. They say that the doubling time is every two days, and they're expecting the peak of this, for the U.S. at least, to be in around three weeks. Uh, but because the it started on the far side of the globe, we can kind of look to other countries to see what we have in store. So over here in China, uh, they're obviously uh, they're three weeks ahead or four weeks, depending on which region you're looking at. But you can see if you look at the graph that it is very much leveled out. Um, they're not seeing very much successive growth day by day uh, and these are the official numbers reported to the government so um, it's interesting to see that the quarantine effects the social distancing and the steps that they've taken have been successful because I mean their their curve leveled out in February that was almost two months ago now and uh, heading into April there's a lot of questions about where the rest of the world is hitting, heading, sorry. Like if we look, Spain still uh, 80,000 cases, 6,800 deaths. Their their curve is still very much rising. Holy there's, shit. A big, there's a bigger snapshot of it. You can see that it's starting to round off, but we're still seeing that doubling time of every two to three days, the number of cases double. Yeah, that's like. Uh, do you remember that uh, that compound interest story where there was a person who bet against the king that he just wants one grain of rice on one checkerboard, and he wants two and double it, and soon he uh, is owed the entire uh, food chain of the entire system, or some like it just shows the significance of compound interest, which is great and all if you're looking at it from a positive point, but when you say how long the expected time is for this to pass and then you're saying the doubling time is two three days um the math is just very it's scary astounding. yeah it's astounding and, and we we had that netflix uh night and we were watching contagion and they were explaining their math as well um and it just the seems uh, yeah the r the r what, what, the are not it's like yeah, the equivalent of like i mean weird weird comparison but it's the direct correlation to return on investment 
are not is how many people get sick for one person that's already infected. It's just like a rate of infectivity between individuals. And if it's greater than two, then it's exponential. And so there's a great varying to what's being reported now, but people are talking about R-naughts between three and five wow. because it is so contagious and because you can be asymptomatic before you are contagious. No, sorry, I mixed that up. You can be, uh, you are contagious before you are symptomatic. Yes, you could not know that you have it, which is, very, like, that's, I've basically stayed away from, like, grandparents or anything. Um, yeah, like, involving it's just, that, which is, it's a complete plausibility that people who don't think they're sick are sick and are spreading it. So, by far and away, it's the most effective method of combating it is just staying home. Although, that being said, I am a bit of a basement dweller myself, so I cannot say that my lifestyle has drastically changed. I'm still in front of my computer most days, but the one thing that I do miss is not being able to go to the gym. Yeah, me too, definitely. I've been doing push-ups and dips and whatnot, but it's a very different feeling for sure. That's one thing yeah. I, I miss a lot. But other than that, sorry to cut you off, um, but as a, as a trader, yeah, literally in career job-wise, my life is, is no different. I wake up every day in, in, in front of the computer, so uh, it's actually to be, to be not in, in a positive way, but uh, the opportunities presented in the markets are actually very lucrative in, uh, like, that's the thing is, Yes, as a trader, you can find opportunities in volatility, but usually in volatility is when a lot of pain is occurring. Um, unless it's to the upside in BTC, and then everyone's up and roaring, and, and that's a great time. But um, yeah, it is uh, it is a crazy time right now for for traders. It's it's a, it's a different story, but for everyone else, I, I do feel uh, a lot of sympathy, and it's a lot like we we just got 3.3 million people uh, to file for unemployment benefits in the United States. Um, that chart, like before, looked so squished. Uh, that's more than 2008. That's like triple 2008. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's crazy shit. Um, I'll see if I can pull up a quick. Yeah, it's, uh, I can send you the link right now if you'd like. Oh, um, give me one moment here. There we go. So that's the link right there. Uh, we can see uh, 2008 is, is literally nothing uh, compared to... Here we go. Oh my god. Yeah, so we can see it dates back to who knows when. Let's see. Like all the way back to 1967, I think it was. So um, like even if you date it back to the t 2008, like it's what, like four, five times greater? Yeah, so it's, six, so it's yeah, five times the, greater in almost. In the peak four. of that market crash, you were looking at 655 thousand no six hundred and sixty thousand people approximately making those unemployment claims 
Yeah, so it's like five times greater. That's crazy. And we're looking at almost 3.3 million as of Saturday, March 21st. So when, like, to be, too, it's it's sad to say, but when people say, oh, it's going to bounce back so hard and, and the rally is going to start back up, um, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end of the video. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss the equity side of things uh, in our view. But just this is absolutely staggering at, at the jump here uh 282,000 we've, we've never seen anything like this in human history like this is unprecedented yeah so it makes sense that yes trump wants to open up the economy and and have businesses and restaurants and bars and entertainment services and all that stuff open up again uh but is that the right move in my personal opinion i don't think it is you have to take the economic hit and try to save the social economic impacts, I guess, of, of literally having an entire generation of, of people potentially pass away. But then you look at Sweden and they are trying the herd immunity approach where they're just saying it's going to probably affect almost every single one of us anyways. We're not going to have the economic hit as well as a social social hit as well. So we're just going to keep things open. And that's what they've been doing. Um, so we'll see if that's going to turn out positive or extremely negative because they're taking a very different approach than a lot of other countries. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how these different approaches work because these are the kinds of problems where there isn't necessarily a concrete solution or correct answer that everyone harmoniously agrees. This is the right thing to do. We're, we're, we're in a very big gray area. Yeah, so it's crazy, it's crazy happening right now. And but, um, just, to, just to build off of that, this was an article from CNN uh, who featured and interviewed somebody who said that they were looking for a peak in death tolls for the U.S. in two to three weeks. And what, what that calls into question is if we're looking at a peak in two to three weeks, when are we looking at the downside of the curve when are we looking uh, when can we go outside when can we resume normal life when can we emerge from our basements that's the that's the million dollar question that has a lot of serious implications because we're dealing with a virus where it is very easy to infect other people and not necessarily know it it's very easy for it to live on surfaces for a long time so i'd imagine that the government is probably going to take this one conservatively and it's better to overpromise and underdeliver than underdeliver and overpromise and just have to elongate the entire process as a whole. Because if you do end quarantines too early and you resume business too early, then you're just going to end up with like a second wave and find yourself in the exact same spot you were when you started. So on that side, it's probably easier for government and health authorities to act heavy-handed in favor of not having to re-engage with the virus, so to speak. Well said. Wow. I completely agree. It's a tough situation for anyone trying to create policies to handle the situation, though. For, for anyone, right? Like, they're, everyone's doing their part, but, um, yeah, what do you, what do, you do? That's, a, that's the million-dollar question. But um, I, I personally think that it, it, will, it will get worse before it gets better. Um, 2020 will be probably the most severe year that the stock market investors have ever seen probably i don't know if it in their lifetime because um 
no one can really know, but I think it'd be worse than 2008 and 2000 because 2008 wasn't truly a recovery. A lot of people think it was, but we had artificially low rates for five, six years uh, at basically zero. And we had three massive uh, quantitative easing measures to stimulate the stock market printing tr uh, billions and billions of dollars. And now we're making that look like it is a walk in the park. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how the investors are gonna play out for the US dollar index and the strength of the dollar, uh, which we'll uh, get into in a little bit here. But uh, what we see right now is the SPX or the S&P 500 on the weekly chart. And we can see that this drop is obviously um, extremely, extremely significant. We went from like 3,400 to 2,200 uh, basically in like a month. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. But um, we see that we have made a lower low from the 2018 crash right before uh, Christmas. And then after Christmas of 2018, we saw a massive rally in 2019 was a huge bull run. But uh, what the trend line that we drew right there was from the anchor point pre-2012 uh, in October of 2011. And we got a couple of zones where we really, really tested this zone multiple times as a nice level of support. And now we have broken below the zone, really cracked it uh, with significant force. And now we're pulling back to test this around $2,600 level as a nice area of resistance in confluence with what we saw in spring of 2018, where we had that consolidation and then that second leg up to the upside. Um, we're, we're testing that previous support as a new level of resistance. So in my personal opinion, I do think that we will get another dump down and TVIX is actually looking like an opportunity. I know um, we're profiting off of the market going down, but in my personal opinion, um, we're just trading the volatility and it's gonna happen anyway. So might, why not make a living while uh, trying to analyze it in my view. But um, one thing that's uh, interesting to note is that it's obviously March has been a very volatile month, but it took one month to lose two years worth of gains. Like 2200 was a significant zone in August 2016. And again, <laughs> it was passed in November 2016. And we dropped all the way there in one month. That really shows you that the the stock market will always take the staircase up, taking small 0.5, gains, which are great for the average retail investor. It'll do it year over year, but when it drops, it drops hard, you know? Like, staircase up, elevator down. Yep. And we've tried to tell everyone to understand what their risk profile is and to understand where their risk parameters are in terms of how much this risk they want to put on instead of just taking the approach of all right i'm going to buy and hold forever um, that makes sense if you're holding an index fund and you're going to be holding and not taking any amount of any amount of money out of it for the next 40 years 40 50 years then 100 percent you should be holding but if you are wanting to be more nimble like if you don't have a whole lot of money 
the fastest way to grow it is not to hold an index fund for 50 years, is to look for opportunities that right now you're able to see because there's massive shifts in supply and demand. And that's able to compound your money quicker. And then once you have a large sum of money, then you put that in an investment pool that allows you to grow it uh, with really little or no amount of uh, focus required, completely passive, basically in ETFs. And that's what a lot of people are uh, trying to explain as the best investment strategy, which in the long term, yes, it has proven to be uh, just as efficient as or even better as a actively managed fund. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you are a small fish and you only started investing recently in the past two, three years, you basically bought at the highest evaluations in stock market history. Um, and if you haven't been aware of that, it's a good time that you're aware of it right now because I still think that is very overvalued. And with what we talked about in the previous video, in the podcast, talking about the duration of how long this coronavirus could be going on for, uh, just thinking about it objectively and pretty simply, uh, how can an economy purchase stock when there's 3.3 million people getting unemployed, um, there just isn't, right? So it's And also the buybacks have now been inhibited by the government because the main thing pushing up the stocks were all the buybacks that were occurring because obviously if you're a CEO or a VP or a high exec within a company, having a high stock price, you have options, you have equity within the company, you sell it, you make more money, who doesn't love that? And if you're a VP of the company, obviously you're going to want to buy, buy back the stock because you're going to individually benefit from it while not saving for a rainy day. And that's why you're seeing bailout after bailout after a lot of these companies. And yes, a lot of these companies, like the cruise ship companies, if you don't have business for a month or more, two months, three months, that's hard for anyone. But when airlines go out of business for two weeks and they said that they don't have enough money on their balance sheet to continue operation after two weeks, that's, that, you got to look at that and say, is this fair that the taxpayer is going to bail out these companies because these CEOs are going to get all this money from the stock price going up and then they probably sold it at the, at the high here. Um, it's just a matter of, um, do you bail, does the population bail them out or do you say, okay, these companies are no longer well-managed and we have to let them go, they'll go bankrupt. Someone else will buy the airplanes, buy up all the different operation uh, mechanical uh, things that are needed to push planes and all that stuff. I don't know what's needed to actually operate a, a, a airplane airline company, but um, you know, like another company, another person will buy up all those all those assets on the cheap and will hopefully run it better. And that's what true capitalism is, right? Uh, it is businesses trying to efficiently create a service for customers. And if governments are bailing them out, that's not capitalism because that's not companies efficiently running. And if they are not running properly, they're not going to be able to make money. They're, we're just saying, okay, well, these companies aren't be able to make money for you know very long periods of time, but then we should still be able to give them a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. And that's not really capitalism in my opinion. Yeah, and one thing just to add on is that if these companies are expecting bailouts, like you look a lot of the the cruise ship companies, they don't fly a U.S. flag. They fly or they sail out of 
foreign ports, because they have different labor regulations, they don't have to pay as much tax to the U.S. But since they're a publicly traded company in the U.S., now they're asking for that U.S. government bailout money. Where it's a very hard area to draw a line between. If these major U.S. corporations aren't flying the U.S. flag and are and are expecting to get around labor laws by doing so, why should the U.S. government give them money? Are are uh, cruise lines considered an essential service? Like, there's a very it's hard to define uh, morals in this situation because these corporations are operating on such a greedy level with their aggressive tax evasion schemes in addition to their labor regulations their stock buyback programs like they have more or less been negligent but now they're asking to get bailed out it's a an interesting situation because i mean there's only going to be more and more companies that go under during the situation because i think it caught a lot of people off guard yeah it definitely did yeah i i'm surprised at uh, how quickly things turned <laughs> let's just say that um but uh one more thing that uh i think that we wanted to talk touch on in this podcast is a potential for universal basic income and this idea of every single household in the United States receiving some say Trump said, you know, throwing around a thousand dollars, Sanders proposes giving two thousand dollars per household during coronavirus crisis. And, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing that's concrete yet that they're going to be doing, but people have been talking and throwing around numbers and and discussing this possibility of universal basic income. And yeah. Oh, did you no, want to continue? No, you go ahead. Uh, the universal basic income is an interesting idea. Uh, Andrew Yang was a big proponent of it, and although he has withdrawn his presidential uh, his pre- presidential race, hey, the idea of a UBI is being tossed around a lot. We're seeing pretty much it's not being called a UBI, but the government does have the intention to give most citizens money in exchange for the recent hard times. I think everyone can agree that the econo- the economy has slowed down and the government wants to fix that by putting cash back into the citizens' pockets. But there's a, cu- there's a couple like philosophical problems with doing a UBI. Although it's not being called a UBI, it's called a COVID relief package, etc., etc., but the central idea is the same. And so the the key problem here is who loses the money first? Like who stops getting that payment? How do you define who gets the continued payment versus who only gets two months? Um, how do you decide to even distribute it? That in itself is a logistical problem because it's not like people want that government cash money in two months by the time the bank transfer arrives. Um, they need it now. So distribution's a problem in itself. But the biggest problem relies in withdrawing it because people get accustomed to that lifestyle. They're going to have auxiliary income coming in and they're likely going to get attached to it. So how do you, how do you wean people from the government cash? Yeah, I... I, I don't think you can. I think when 
something like this is implemented, I don't I don't think you can really get off of that. It's kind of like I can't really debt is kind of like a drug in a sense, um, and the person who is intoxicated in debt never wants to get off it, and that's kind of how the United States is at this point, um, indebted in obviously the amount of money that they currently are printing and um, yeah we, we've been bearish for a while but um this was definitely a curveball but uh, in terms of the ubi i i personally think it, they don't have it they don't have an option they literally do not have an option um i think that this covid19 virus is very serious and they do need to have a lockdown and people do need to stay at home or try to work from home and, and they can't have um you know clubs and and bars that are close together with a bunch of people uh sitting i don't think that they can do that either so they do need to have this lockdown so then how do people live because we know that a lot of people are over leveraged buying houses they can't afford buying cars they can't afford buying clothes they can't afford and you see that in in the credit card debt in the student loan debt in and uh uh, the card, I don't know what they're called, uh, used car sales or, or debt or I'm not sure what that statistic is called, but um, yeah, so the government knows it and they're literally doing whatever it takes to print as much money as they can to, to give it to the people. But, but the thing is, when they're printing money to give it to the people, yes, it is great because they're not giving it to the banks and expecting the banks to hopefully lending it, lend it out to businesses because that's what they did last time. Uh, they gave money banks and, and hope that they would lend it out to people to promote business operations from continuing forward. But they're not actually seeing that into fruition of helping the person, the, the, the single United States American citizen, right? Um, and, and this is a different approach where they're actually doing the similar thing where they're printing money, but now they're actually giving it to everyday individuals. And I think this is the right way to do it instead of bailing out banks. But I think there will be a time when banks will need to be bailed out in 2020 because they've already dropped the reserve, the fractional reserve rates to zero. The interest rates are zero or they might be negative. So that's how do you deal with that as a bank? But the neg uh, the interest rates won't be negative for the savers. That's the thing, which is crazy. Um, you'll, you'll still be paying money um the banks will always take money uh basically at the end of the day even if the negative interest rates are applying to them they won't make it apply to other people um and also just to tack on with the universal basic income and the struggles of actually sending funds to individuals the banks are going to be the basically the clog in the pipeline to actually get those funds to individuals and the Fed and the government have already proposed a potential Fed coin or the digital dollar, which we've already talked about in a crypto market update. And they have potentially uh, created it and, you know, they've proposed it in a bill, hasn't been passed. But um, that would be crazy because that will introduce blockchain. And it won't be a public blockchain, obviously. The ledger will be private just for the Fed to look at. But that begs the question, they'll now go and be able to look at every transaction, everything that you buy. And that's like another area of privacy that we won't get. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's one step closer to a surveillance society. 
If only the government could send out the relief packages in Bitcoin, that would be... You'd have it in minutes. Fees would be high. <laughs> Fees would be but high. Wouldn't have to worry about the banks. I mean, so there's 330 million people in the States, and there is 21 million Bitcoin. So that means it is logistically impossible for the U.S. government to send even 0.1 Bitcoin to every individual, which is only 500 and 500 U.S. dollars. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty crazy to think about. If you if you actually break down the numbers and well, even less because it is yet yeah, even less 21 million. But think. Uh, uh, BTC are stolen, or not even stolen, but they're lost. So or... The Genesis wallet, there's only yeah. like 18 million in circulation. There's a lot of logistical factors, but that's just a stark example of how just how small crypto is within the scheme of big money. Yep, I completely agree. And yeah, it, I, I do think that crypto will be somewhat the primary vehicle of the new monetary system maybe not crypto but blockchain will be the the underlying foundation for the next monetary system that we're going to be having because the traditional one with banks controlling basically everything and taking a pie or a piece of the cut on everything i think is going to change and people affect like 2008 people were fed up with it and i think with and everything passes, the banks will either get bailed out again or fail. And we're going to have to pick a choice between either using a privatized digital currency by central banks and governments and will be monitors monitored and surveilled or have have surveilled. I don't know if that's the word. Uh, we'll, have, we'll be watched more than ever. That's option one or option two is i think will be a little bit more uh difficult because it'll be a little bit of a revolt but humanity will then come to an agreement that the governments and central banks have too much power and the corporations have too much power and we're going to try to create decentralized communities where we don't have these massive conglomerates have so much power over us and i hope that's the the road we go uh, because it'll promote a lot of small businesses. It will promote more uh, freedom and less structure, like corporate structure. And it'll be more, it's, it's kind of like Fiverr. Like instead of having a massive conglomerate, like a massive corporation of accountants, and it's just, you know, the CEO at the top and then a bunch of accountants at the bottom, you'd have kind of like Fiverr where you have a, a, a community of accountants that you can look at and say okay you have reviews from these people you have um you have these testimonials you have this example of work to show and it's going to be hopefully a lot more open to individuals creating work for themselves instead of people working for a massive corporation i don't know that's kind of like the oasis i see at the end of it if it turns out to be of revolution, but it could just dig us deeper into the hole of the the palm of uh, the people who control the bigger decisions in life, because it could turn out very negative. Because you know, every single time we've had some war measure or something, they've put in like the income tax was put in because of wartime measures, I believe, in 1912, I think it was, and then they'll say it's temporary, but 
when the government says it's temporary, you always have to, you know, raise an eyebrow because you don't know if it's going to be true or not. Yeah, there's definitely a track record there. And we're in such uncharted territory that fundamentally, yes, we think the market is going to go down further. But Jerome Powell and Mr. Donald Trump might have other things in mind. And we're entering a very uncharted territory where, again, it's a gray area. There is no correct answer for what needs to be done to save the global economy, save the future of fiat currency, although it does not seem very likely. There's just no, there's no, there's no certainties here. And as a result, the market has insane volatility. Yeah, and like every asset class. Yeah, it's a... what a time to be alive. I mean, that's all we really got to say in 2020. We've uh, we've been through the ringer already, and we're only we're only a couple months in. Yeah, it'll literally. Be, it'll be interesting to see when we can emerge outside, hopefully get a summer. Because as of right now, nobody has the answers, you know? Yep, that's true. I, ho- I do hope we get a summer. I really do. Um, but, yeah, who knows? There, you're very right. We just take it day by day and see what uh, see what the news brings, see what uh, the opportunities in the markets brings, and and really just take it day by day and try to try to remember this moment because uh, people are going to be talking about the Corona crisis of 2020 for the rest of our lives. Yeah, like day by day, the first thing we do is wake up and turn on our computer but looking back in hindsight it's going to seem much more monumental because we've never seen anything like the likes of we are now yeah definitely it's um like even people talking about it who've been in the game for 40 50 years are saying the same thing they're they're saying that this is like like even ray daly was like this is something that's brand new and he actually didn't catch this major market move at all like he's down 20 percent in his in his hedge fund which is fucking crazy oh the largest hedge fund in the world man 20 percent brutal oh my god that's so tough that's brutal but um yeah i wonder if i wonder if that's a principle for him yeah exactly (laughs) exactly he's coming out with a new book in 2025 (laughs) but um that that just shows like even the most professional the, the, the highest level of profession you can get to in, in the investment trading world, and they couldn't even capitalize. Some people did, for sure. Some people caught it and um, were able to catch that top there or sold. But, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it was, it was something that they couldn't really see coming. But there was uh, information on one of the execs for Intercontinental Exchange, the exchange that holds New York Stock Exchange and... I believe uh, NASDAQ, I don't know exactly, but uh, the International Continental Exchange's exec, a lot of them sold their stock bef- like in mid-February and, and they were under the pressure and, and, and they got, obviously they were, we were, they were talked to about insider trading and everything and they said, oh, we were just using the news of, uh, you know, CNBC and stuff like that. I'm like, how bullshit is that, right? It's crazy. And then also talking about kind of hedge funds is uh, Bill Ackman is, is a very well-known face in the hedge fund industry. And he was short a lot of stocks. He made $2.6 billion in a month from $300 million because he was short 
the fuck out of a lot of indexes and he went on live television on i think nbc i don't know which television show because he's very well known in the hedge fund space and he was basically saying uh the global economy is going to collapse uh the stock market's going to drop 60 80 percent it's going to be way worse than the great depression ever and him saying that made it drop even worse and made him make even more money and that's completely legal so it's like i don't know there's a lot of like like nobody's playing by the rules right now. Yeah, exactly. It's it's complete warfare. Like it's kind of every man for himself in the markets, which is pretty brutal. And and and, and that's how it is in the markets always. But um, at the end of the day, I don't think that shitting on the economy to personally gain. Like it's one thing to see the opportunity and then just capitalize on it, but it's another thing to promote the shitstorm that's going to come. And then also have a, a position that's going to benefit from that potential shitstorm and the psychology, the psychology shifting of the people that are watching and selling their stocks. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a crazy, crazy time to be alive. But um, I, I don't know if they're going to stop short selling. But um, there, I, I have seen some articles thinking that uh, they might stop short selling or or create some rule where you can only short sell a certain amount or they're going to limit it or something because uh at the end of the day i think a lot of people are going to be uh basically saying short sellers did this even though it's not really and even corona didn't do this like this is the pimp the pin that popped the bubble right this is this is a long time coming it's just this is turned it into from a recession into a, a potential depression it seems like uh which is obviously nothing that anyone really wants but um i think understanding the severity of what's coming is very important rather than completely avoiding it and assuming things are going to be all right it's it's good to be over prepared than to be under prepared and i think that's what we're trying to do in this podcast Alrighty, should we wrap it up there yeah i think that was a, a good way to end it i hope that it wasn't too down or anything um you know we are pretty pretty lively and at the end of the day we are very very bullish on crypto um and i do think that we will come out of it stronger and um you know uh with like ray dalio said uh pain plus reflection equals progress if you're feeling a lot of pain maybe in the future you reflect upon it and then you'll see some progress in your life so uh thank you very much for watching everyone or listening uh, we really appreciate it